Good morning, once again. Both for those who are here in person, those joining us online, glad that we can all be together once again just to study the Word of God. Uh, with that in mind, if you would turn with me in your Bibles to the book of First Thessalonians for what may be the last time for at least for a while as we finally wrap up this series we've been looking at about this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica. We come to our final passage found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 to 28. And it's been, you know, quite an adventure looking through this book. And in fact, Paul even sort of, as he writes these last few words of farewell to this church, he's going to remind actually his readers about many of the things he's already taught them earlier in this letter. It's kind of a review of, of much of what Paul wanted to impart to this church and he does that with a very simple outline, uh, you know, of this passage with, that I want to give you now. It's very simple. It's five words that kind of sum up what Paul is trying to say in these, these last few words. Um, the words are holiness, hope, help, hugs, and hearing. Uh, but before we dig into that uh, and unpack that truth, I want to just read this together. If you'd like to follow along with me. As I read, beginning in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning in verse 23, uh, we'll read to the end of the book. Paul says this, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and body and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Let's pray together. Father God, even as Paul says, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with us as we open your word this morning. Uh, may there be in us a hunger for the truth. Uh, that, Lord, you would deliver to us words of life, words of truth from your holy word that will impact our lives in, in, in transformative and powerful ways. That, Lord, the hearing that we have today, that, Lord, it would move us yet another step closer to holiness and sanctification and just the likeness of your Son, Jesus Christ, in, in every area of our lives. Uh, Lord, I pray that we would be ready. I pray that we would be Surrendered, I pray that, Lord, we would just hear this truth um, as it is spoken by you. And that, Lord, your spirit would just be moving among us, leading us into the truth you would have us here this morning once again. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning, you might say we have a little drama. Because uh, as I was closing out the book of First Thessalonians, I was reading this passage. Paul's message of holiness to these people, I guess it... it it struck a chord with me, and I maybe sort of want to begin with a confession. One of those confession is good for the soul kind of confessions. And the confession I want to begin with is this, that when I was young, I used to be a very fussy eater. Um, and for anyone who knows me is thinking, used to be? Like, get real. Because I'm still, okay, I'm still a fussy eater. Um, I like to think I'm getting better. I eat green peppers now, so that's good. But, you know, I know I still have issues. This is true. And one of my big issues as a picky eater comes to what I call contamination 
when it comes to food. That's where you have a food that you really like, and then something comes along that ruins it by adding something you don't like. For example, pizza. You have a nice pizza. The pizza's happy. The pizza's good. Someone puts mushrooms on the pizza. Like, how, what, how could you? Or you have a nice cinnamon bun. Oh, it's warm. You take a bite. It's gooey and soft. Only to find some person, some possibly deranged person, has put in raisins. What? I spew you from my mouth, raisins. And then there's anything poisoned by the presence of Parmesan cheese. I think we can all agree on that. Oh, it's an aroma of offensiveness in my olfactory. It's just nasty stuff. So basically, when it comes to food, I'm, I'm, a, I, I'm probably, you'd call me a purist, I guess. Um, there's foods that I love. There's foods that I don't love. And I don't want to see those foods getting together for any reason. Uh, it doesn't matter if I can't even see or taste the things I don't like in my food. Just knowing that they're in my food is enough to ruin it. So if you want to blend those mushrooms into the sauce so you can't see them, makes no difference. You know, you tell me to pick off the whatever. It's like, I don't care. They've already touched. It doesn't matter. You say, you can't even taste it. I say, why did you put it in, the pl- in there in the first place if you can't taste it? Why? It's still a pass. Because again, in my mind, the food's been contaminated. It's no longer pure. Something has come along to defile my food. And I know you're all thinking, pastor's having a nervous breakdown. He's a bit of a crazy person. And I'm exaggerating a little bit. But I tell you that because what happens to be for me a bad habit when it comes to food, for God is actually a very serious matter. But for God, it's not mushrooms that he can't stand. It's sin. And when it comes to the matter of holiness, no amount of contamination, no amount of sin is small enough in our lives or hidden enough that, that God can overlook it. And that's why the final thing that Paul reminds his readers as, as he closes out this letter, as he says goodbye, is he reminds his readers for their continual need for holiness, purity in their lives. As he says in verse 23, he says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless. Now that word sanctify is a word that means to make something holy. And as the people of God, holiness it's, holiness is our business. Sanctification and holiness define who we are to be as the people of God. And holiness and sanctification are also essential for us to have a right relationship with God. Psalm 24, verses 3 and 4 says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 to 16 says it just as clearly. It says, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And even in this, this letter that we've already looked at, uh, Paul says earlier in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3, he says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. We're called to be holy people. We are called to be living lives free from sin. And you know, that's not always an easy task, especially as you look at the world around us. Because the world, especially today, we're surrounded by sin and temptation. 
And you know, sometimes we even like to muddy the waters when it comes to talking about sin. And we make some sins feel like they're not that big of a deal. We call them little white lies and things like that. And some sins we just sort of make acceptable in our lives, like gossip, just by, you know, kind of turning the other way when they happen and just kind of rolling with it. And I think there's even times in our lives when we think about sin in a positive light. You know, you want to sell chocolate cake? You call it sinfully good, right? You want to sell cookies? Call them decadent. You want to sell roller skates to kids? You call them wicked. But you know, back in verse 22, Paul calls sin what it is. Evil. Verse 22 says, abstain from every form of evil. And that's why we as believers, we, we need to be serious about getting rid of the sin and sinful habits in our lives. Because that's where sanctification is, is going to lead us. I don't know if there's something I could do with the mic. Is it, Phil, is there something? I feel like I'm ringing a bell every time I talk. All right. Um, there's something else about sanctification I think we all need to know. Because sanctification, it's more than just about keeping ourselves free from sin. Uh, it's also about embracing righteousness in our lives. In other words, sanctification, being holy, is not just about the things we don't do. It's also about the things that we do do. So it's, just, it's not just about living, getting rid of sin in our lives. It's also about embracing holiness, embracing righteousness. And that's why I think Paul makes such a very big deal about sanctification being something that happens in every part of our lives. He says in verse 23, May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying this is an entire, our entire being is being made holy. That everything we do, everything that we are, our thoughts, our, our attitudes, our decisions, our relationships, our consciences, our, our actions, our habits, our recreation, our choice, everything, everything in our life. This is complete sanctification that touches every part of our lives to the point that we are being made blameless before the Lord. And that I think many of us struggle when we hear that, especially that word Paul uses there, blameless. Because it seems like kind of a pretty high standard. I don't know, you know, I don't know of anyone that I know who would say, you know, when it comes to holiness, how you doing? They'd be like, blameless, like nailed it. Well, no. So it can kind of be, I don't know, using that word, it can kind of feel defeating because you feel like, you know what, every time I make a mistake, I'm, just, I'm not blameless. I have to sort of start over. You feel like you kind of ruined everything. It's like, not blameless again. Like, what do you do? And if you keep making mistakes, you can start to be sort of so hard on yourselves that you're not getting it right, that you almost get this self-defeating attitude where you feel like, you know, I've just, I failed so often at this, I'm not sure why I, I even keep trying. But I think you should know that word blameless that Paul uses there, it doesn't mean perfect. In fact, it has more the, the essence of, of being a good example. It's not a picture of a person who has their life together all the time and never has any struggles or failings or makes any mistakes. That's not what blameless is. And as a person who makes a lot of mistakes, I think that's really good for us to know. Um, it's good to know that in being blameless that we can't make mistakes. It's good to know that in being blameless, it doesn't mean we have to be perfect all the time in everything or it doesn't count for any, nothing. 
You know, it's good to know that in being blameless, we can still look at our lives and say, you know what, there are, there's room for me to grow. There's room here and there for me to improve. And you know, even Paul in some of the letters that he writes uh, admits that he himself, as an apostle of God, you know, he himself is not perfect. He says when it comes to sanctification, he says, I'm still working on it. Now, one of those places he talks about that is in Philippians chapter 3. Beginning of verse 12, he says, Not that I've already attained this or have been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You know, when it comes to holiness, Paul comes right out and says, it says I'm not perfect. But he also says, you know what, I'm, I'm making progress. He says, you know, I am not yet perfectly holy. But he's also saying, I am making holiness my highest priority. And that's what all of us should be really focusing on. When it comes to holiness, make sure that you are making progress. Make sure that you have holiness as your highest priority in life. Make sure you're growing and moving forward in this area. You know, that's what, that's what a pursuit of holiness is really all about. It's not about being perfect all the time, but it is about making sure it's a priority and making sure we're making progress in this area. And then as Paul moves on to the rest of this passage, um, he still has the idea of sanctification in mind, but what he does is he offers us next a list of things that actually will help our holiness to grow. The rest of this passage really speaks about supports that we can lean on if we want to keep sanctification and holiness happening in our lives. And that first support is hope. And hope really acts, I think, as a, our motivation when it comes to holiness. And we see that hope mentioned here when Paul says in verse 23, may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the return of Jesus is the end goal for holiness. It's the finish line for the believers. It's the day when, you know, all the strivings, all the struggles, all the sacrifices, all the sorrows that we felt of living in this fallen world, that they will fade away when the glory of Jesus is revealed. And we'll know that it's been worth it. And, you know, you can hear those words, you know, well done, good and faithful servant. That's hope, how hope motivates us. And that's what Peter, I think, had in mind in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning verse 3, where he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And this inheritance is kept in heaven for you who, through faith, are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. He says, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief of all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by the fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. That's our hope. And you know, it is that hope that drives us forward. You know, towards that day. It's, it's, it's knowing that one day, the day when Jesus returns, that all, you know, our holiness, in our holiness, we will glorify God as we stand before the Lord and our lives are sort of laid bare without shame. 
Because have you ever have you ever had one of those dreams where you show up somewhere in your underwear? You know, I used to have those in university taking tests so you're in your underwear. Oh, where's my protractor? Like, I don't know. Like, it's it's embarrassing, you know, and all the people around you and they're looking at you and you're all embarrassed and you wake up mortified. Well, I was actually thinking about that this week as in these verses and it occurred to me that's exactly how people, Christians who ignore holiness, are going to feel when Christ returns. Like they're not wearing any clothes. Because listen to these words. Uh, Job 29 verse 14 says, I put on righteousness. It clothed me. Ephesians 4, 24 says, put on, literally clothe yourself. Put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Colossians 3.12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Revelation 19, verses 7 and 8 says, let us rejoice and exult and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has been made herself ready. It is granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. You see, there's this idea in scriptures that we wear our holiness as a garment, that we are clothed in righteousness, awaiting the day of the Lord. And when Jesus returns, our hope is that he may find us ready. He may find us holy, dressed in white as a bride, fully prepared, awaiting her husband. That's our hope when it comes to holiness. And then Paul leads us to the third point in this passage about hope. And it's a big one because he points us towards our help. Because when it comes to holiness, this is where we are to find the strength for the journey. Um, because there's a danger, I think. There's always a danger sometimes when we talk about holiness, even when we preach about holiness, that it can kind of feel like a thinly disguised lecture on self-improvement. Like, be holy, and step one is you need to do better, and step two is you need to be better, and step three is you need to try harder. Because sometimes we get this idea in our heads that we think that it's all up to us. That holiness is about how strong I can be or how good or, or, or how faithful I am. Yet the Bible, when it comes to both hope and holiness, it shows us how wrong that kind of thinking is because, and I want you to hear this very clearly, no one can become holy on their own. No matter how strong or disciplined or capable any person is, holiness is beyond their ability to create on their own. And that's why Paul reminds his readers that when it comes to holiness, it is God who is our help. God is our strength in this. He says in verse 23, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. See, your name's not in that verse. God is the one who does the sanctifying. And that's a good thing because holiness is a work that only God can do in our lives. And yes, we can cooperate with God. You know, just like we talked about last week, you know, we need to make sure we're not, you know, quenching the Holy Spirit. And we know, you know, there's things that we can do in our lives that will hinder God's work in our lives, that, that will, you know, make us lose progress. There's also things in our lives we know we can do that will assist the work that God is doing in our lives. But in the end, sanctification is a work that God does. And it's a work that only God can do. Because we will utterly fail every time without his help. It's God's grace. It's God's forgiveness, God's righteousness, God's power at work in our lives alone that could free us from sin and make us pure. 
And we need that strength. We need to ask him for it. Uh, it reminds me of a story. I love this story about a father uh, who was, you know, doing dishes one day out the kitchen window. And he was looking out the window, the backyard, and he saw his seven-year-old son just playing in the backyard in his sandbox. And he watched as his son was sort of moving several large rocks that he had put into the sandbox. He was trying to get them out of the sandbox. And he got them sort of one at a time, taking them out. But there was one very big rock that was giving the little boy just a great deal of trouble. And the father watched his son move. You know, he tried to get the rock to the edge of the sandbox and then try to lift it out or flip it out. And, but each time it looked like the son would be able to move that rock, you know, over the side of the sandbox, the rock would just fall back in. And it happened over and over again. And the last time it happened, of course, the rock fell and it pinched one of his little fingers and the boy just broke into tears. And the father who was watching all this had sympathy on his boy. And he walked out to his tearful son and he hugged him and he asked him what was the matter. And his son told him all about the rock in the sandbox. But the father then asked, well, why didn't you use all the strength that you had? And the little boy replied, I did, dad. I did. And the father responded, no, son, you didn't use all the strength you had because you didn't ask your dad. And with that, the father reached down and together he and his son removed the rock from the sandbox. And I think too often when it comes to living in holiness, we're like that little boy. We try to do it all on our own and we fail to ask God for the help that he has made available to us. And as a, just as a side there, one of the best ways that we can do that, the best way we can ask for help is through his prayer. You know, Paul, even as an example in verse 25, Paul says to this church, brothers, pray for us. You know, when Paul needed help, when, when he feels need, when Paul felt like he lacked the strength to keep going on, he says he asked for prayer. He asked that God would lend him the strength. And it just goes to show us again that God's help, God's strength is available to his people. Because you know what? It's amazing what God can do when he goes to work. You know, the power of God is, is incredible. You know, to trust, to trust in him is amazing. To trust in ourselves is, is kind of just opening ourselves to failure. Because um, it's amazing. Well, it's amazing the difference. I mean, when God wanted to cross the, you know, when God wanted his people to cross the Red Sea, if that was up to us, we'd be like, okay, well, we've got this problem. Well, maybe we should build a dam and just hire some engineers. And, you know, if we a couple cubic million cubic tons of concrete, maybe we could figure out a solution here. Or maybe we could build a bridge across the Red Sea and, you know, ask the government for a couple billion in infrastructure spending, you know, uh, all that. We come up with these plans on how we can do this. And God said, well, I, got, I know a guy with a stick. It <laughs> just and it's done. You know, when God wanted to slay a giant, we might say, no problem. We just get a well-equipped team of special forces officer and they can parachute in over the cover of darkness and, you know, use the latest military hardware. And God says, no, no, no. I says, don't worry. I know, a, I know a kid who likes to throw rocks. When God wanted to feed 5,000 people, we would look at that and say, well, we need to hire a caterer and get a hall and, you know, rent some tables and all that stuff. But God said, you know, I, know, I have a kid who has a bag lunch. Because nothing is impossible to God. 
And we need to understand God hasn't changed. The same God who parted the Red Sea, the same God who helped slay the giants and fed the multitudes is the same God who wants to do the work of holiness in our lives. It's the same God who is ready to help us in all of our need. And he he will help us because he's faithful. In fact, don't miss those words in verse 24 where Paul says, he who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. You see, not only is God strong and able, but he's faithful. And that faithfulness matters. I found a reading this week I love by a guy named Ray Pritchard. who, who so He puts it like this. He says, how many people do you know who do exactly what they say? But before you answer, let me rephrase the question. How many people do you know who do exactly what they say every single time? Now, before you answer that, let me rephrase it again. How many people do you know who do exactly what they say every single time and do it with such thoroughness and perfection that you never have to worry about anything they say or do? And again, before you answer that, let me ask one more time. How many people do you know who, no matter what the circumstances, no matter how they feel, will always do exactly what they say and they will do it every single time and they will do it the exact thoroughness and the same thoroughness and perfection that you have never have to worry about anything they say or do because you know that if they say it they will definitely do it without fail and without change or without excuse because that's a picture of God's faithfulness God's faithfulness means he will 100% reliable 100% of the time he will not fail he will not forget he will not falter change or disappoint his help never fails because he is faithful and that leads us to Paul's fourth point this morning. And that's hugs. Uh, verse 26. He says, greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I know it says holy kiss. I couldn't resist another H word for hugs. But you know, the interesting thing here, as I was looking at the significance of Paul's request here, is I just, I guess I always kind of assumed that, you know, the Greeks were like the French people you see on TV and they, they greeted each other with a kiss, like bonjour kind of thing. But that's, that's actually not the case. The Greeks were actually a rather stoic bunch. It's not how they greeted each other as a regular basis. But a kiss was the kind of greeting that would have been reserved for greeting members of your family or greeting your very closest friends. So actually, for us, a holy hug, probably not all that far from what Paul has in mind here. It's a way of greeting another person that says, you are like a member of my family. And when it comes to holiness, again, what I want you to see here is that we have need for encouragement from one another, from the members of God's family. And as a church, we are a family that is to be there for each other. And you know, you just think about all of those each other verses that are in the Bible. There's actually 59 different commands God gives the church concerning one another. Just a few of them are to love one another, be devoted to one another, accept one another, instruct one another, Greet one another, serve one another, bear with each other, submit to one another, admonish each other, encourage one another, live in harmony with one another, offer hospitality to one another. And you know, when you're seeking to live a holy life, it's so much easier to do in a community that supports you like that. A community that will love you and hold you accountable and who will still love you when you make mistakes and who will help pick you up when you fall or fail. And that leaves just one more item for us to talk about this morning. 
And that's hearing. More precisely, hearing the word of God. Verse 27, Paul says, I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all of the brothers. You know, when it comes to living a holy life, the last encouragement that Paul gives to us is to be reading the word of God. Because when it comes to holiness, we need to think of the Bible as our source of guidance. You know, the Bible is how we know the difference between right and wrong, between good and evil. The Bible helps us to discern what is true from what is lies. The Bible helps us to know what holiness looks like and how to live out the life that God has called his people the holy life that God has called his people to live. And we can't know how to live holy lives without God's holy word. And you'll notice that Paul actually, he uses some very strong language here to command these people to read this letter. He even puts them under oath. So why is he so insistent? It's because Paul wanted the people of this church to be sure that they heard the truth of God. Because, you know, in Paul's day, hearing the truth like that was probably a little bit of a rarity. You know, there weren't, there weren't Bibles like, like we would know them today. And even though, you know, the, what they would consider the scriptures was just the Old Testament. And they wouldn't have very many copies of that, maybe in the synagogue or a few other places. But, you know, it wasn't something everybody had on their shelf. And even a short letter like this, you couldn't go to the church office and photocopy it and give it to me. It had to be hand copied. It's not like today where we have the luxury of, you know, turning on our computers or opening our phones and having 150 different translations available to us. And yet even with the availability of the Bibles that we have at our fingertips, the lesson is the same. We need to make sure the Bibles are read. We need to ensure that we are a church that lifts the Bible high, a church that teaches the Bible. A church that encourages people to know Jesus more from the pages of Scripture. And we need to be a church that knows that God's Word is essential to living the life of holiness that God calls us to live. I've always loved a quote by a guy named Mark Deaver in his books, Nine Marks of a Healthy Church, where he says, A healthy church is a church that hears the Word of God and continues to hear the Word of God. The people listening to preaching should know they're hearing God's word preached. And church members should be encouraging preachers to do this. Should be praying for them and looking for such preaching and thanking God for when it comes. That more than anything else is what we need as Christians. So what makes a good church, he asks. He says, even more than parking and pews and greetings and programs and nursery and music. And even more than the preacher, it is what is preached. It is the word of God. And that's what we need. If we want to pursue holiness, let me encourage you just personally to be continuing in the word of God. Continue reading your Bibles. Seek biblical truth and teaching. Because if you want to pursue holiness, you're going to need the truth of God's word to be guiding you. And that's really what Paul has to say to this church as he wraps up this letter and puts down his pen. He's ending it with words of holiness, words of hope, words of help. Words of hugs for one another and words of hearing the truth. Which means I only really have one thing left to do this morning, and that's to explain the, the, the title of my sermon, which is a weird acronym. It's like PBPW. I'm not even sure quite what it is. but um, Because I know Paul was trying to encourage people here to live holy lives. 
You know, and, and there's times when I know we can grow discouraged in that pursuit as believers. Um, I found one pastor who put it well said, life is lived in seasons. If you don't understand that, you'll probably be constantly frustrated. Some seasons are for sowing, some are for waiting, some are for reaping. Sometimes you have a short, intense burst of growth followed by a longer period of stabilizing and testing. And there may be times when you feel frustrated with the pace of your progress, but God is never in a hurry. He took 80 years to prepare Moses, including 40 in the wilderness. Why? Because when God makes a mushroom, he can do it overnight. Mushroom again. But when he wants to make a giant oak tree, he takes 100 years. And those initials that you see there, they stand for the saying, please be patient with me. God isn't finished with me yet. Because God is doing a work of grace in your life. You know, Paul even ends the book with the words in verse 28, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. But you know, he also started this book back in the very first verse by saying to the church of of the Thessalonians in God the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, he said, grace to you and peace. You see, this book is a grace sandwich. It begins with God's grace, it ends with God's grace, and in, you know, it's full of God's grace on every page in between. And the same is true for our lives in Christ as well. They are a work of grace. So let me encourage you, just as Paul encouraged his readers, know that God is at work in your life. God is producing in your life a harvest of holiness. And the work that God is doing, even though at times it may feel slow or even non-existent, the work that God is doing in you, it will not fail. Because God doesn't fail. Just as Paul says in Philippians 1 verse 6, says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So don't lose heart. Keep your eyes on the goals and seek holiness Hold on to your hope, ask God for help, give each other some hugs, and hear God's truth continually. And God will do some amazing things in your life. Because even though this letter has come to an end, God isn't finished with you yet. Let's pray. Lord God, we realize, Lord, as we read words like this, we realize that we live in a fallen world. A world that makes what you have called us to do all the more difficulty. It's not a holy place. And Lord, sometimes living for you, seeking holiness, it feels like an uphill battle. Lord, it feels like living for you is like swimming upstream in our culture today. And it can be tiring. It can be frustrating. And Lord, we know that in doing so, there's even times when we we lose progress and fall behind. But Lord... We know that your call to us, your call to us all is to to be holy. And that your will, Lord, is our sanctification, that we are to be growing in holiness, that, Lord, we are to be getting the sin in our life out, and that, Lord, we are to be putting your righteousness of living for you in. And, Lord, may we not take that call upon our lives lightly. May we not take holiness as something in our lives that we are casual about. Not something that we overlook, but Lord, may we make that our priority. And Lord, we don't always have to be perfect. 
But Lord, we do have to be making sure we're making progress continually in our lives. And I pray, Lord, that as a church, we would be the kind of church that is able to help each other in this pursuit, that we would be encouraging one another, that, Lord, we'd be a church that is proclaiming God's truth um, to help us guide each other in living like this. But, Lord, most of all, Lord, as we look at Paul's words here, Lord, most of all, may we be seeking you for the strength in our lives to make this happen, knowing that this is a work that you are doing, And that, Lord, you in all things will be faithful. So that, Lord, may we walk just trusting in you to do this. Knowing that, Lord, you will bring it to completion. That, Lord, that one day we will stand before you. And as our lives are just revealed, that, Lord, our lives would give you praise and glory. As a holiness that you have done in our lives is revealed. And that, Lord, we would just hear those words, well done. And that, Lord, we would enter in and just celebrate um, the sanctification that has happened in our lives through you. We ask this, Lord, again, in Jesus' name. Amen.